I'll tell you, if you want to know how to make a pastor preaching through the book of Matthew laugh, ask him if you're almost done. Like it was a couple months ago, I remember somebody asked me, so are we almost to the, you know, the cross and the resurrection? <laughs> Those of us, those of you who have been with us know we've, we've been a while just in Matthew 24 and 25. There, there are six different messages I see here about the, the second coming of our king. And we're on the fourth one right now, just plowing our way through. You can see this book is more of a marathon than a sprint. But I want to catch you up on where we've been talking about the second coming of Christ First, we talked about Jesus, the encourager, who encouraged us to be faithful in suffering. Salvation is coming. Don't give up. Uh, then we talked about Jesus, the coming and glorious king. And, and we encourage you to hold on to hope, whatever you're going through. Because believer, every one of your biblical expectations of the kingdom to come, will be fulfilled. So don't despair. Last week we talked about Jesus, the, the unexpected. No one knows the day or the hour, so be blessed. Stay awake. Stay awake. Don't be careless. Today we're going to focus in on Jesus, the bridegroom. Jesus, the bridegroom. And my word of encouragement today is be prepared to meet the bridegroom. Are you prepared to meet the bridegroom? Do not, please do not fail to prepare. I think about prep preparation. I, I think about camping. You think about all the preparation that goes into just a couple days in the woods, right? You, you build this checklist, tent, check. If you're getting older, air mattress, check. Cooler, packed full of food, bug spray, the lantern, the lighter, and most important, the coffee. Right? All, all this preparation for a, a couple days in the woods. And I think about that kind of preparation and moms everywhere, including my wife Carolyn and my mom right there, they know how to complete this statement. What do moms always say? Better to have it and not need it than... Yeah, that's right. They need it and not have it. You think about all that preparation for a couple days in the woods, and it led me to a question in light of our passage. Do any of us spend more time preparing for a couple days camping in the woods than we do preparing for eternity? Just think about that. Do we ever find ourselves there? Because listen, one thing I see clearly in this passage, there is something you need to do if you are to be prepared to meet the bridegroom. You need to be prepared when you breathe your last breath or that trumpet sounds and calls his church up in the air to meet him. Are you prepared for eternity? Jesus gave us this loving warning in a powerful story about 10 virgins and a bridegroom. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me 
Matthew 25, verse 1. He's looking into the future, the time of his second coming. Those of us waiting for the rapture trumpet can make application to ourselves there. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. As you can see in the picture, it may have been lamps, it, it may have been torches. That word can go either way, but you say, why the torches, why the lamps? Well, you've got to understand a little bit about Jewish wedding culture. And what would happen is, is the bridegroom would come from his father's house to the bride's house and escort her back for a, for a feast that, that could last up to two weeks I've been to some great wedding receptions. I've never been to one that lasted two weeks. Have you? The groom would go gather her and, and take her back to the feast. And often with the bride, there were young women, as these ten virgins are mentioned, waiting with her for the bridegroom. This often happened at night. That's where the torches and the lamps come in. They, they would be needed for the festive parade in the dark, back to the groom's house. And as they waited for the, the bridegroom, you can imagine the, the anticipation, the expectation among those women. Many announcements would be made about the fact that his coming would be soon, but here's the catch. Nobody knew the exact hour. Now, those of you in our American culture who are watch checkers, who, who go to a one o'clock wedding, and if it doesn't start at 102, you're doing this, and you're looking back, this would drive you crazy because you, you didn't know what, what hour he was coming. But the central focus, the central focus was all on the coming of that bridegroom. That was the focus. Even the way this parable is written, if you look at it in your Bible, puts the focus on him. The bride, while assumed, every bridegroom has his bride, right? She's not even mentioned. The, the focus is on the bridegroom. We look at these 10 virgins and Jesus breaks them into two categories. There were five prepared and five unprepared. Verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were wise. Now, we already read verse 1. It says all 10 of them were there to meet the bridegroom, right? If you had done a, a poll, how many of you are, are here to, to meet the bridegroom? All 10 of them would have said, I am. I am. So what separated the five wise from the five foolish? Verse 3. Is when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. What separated them was five were prepared with oil for the procession to the celebration. Five were not prepared with oil. Verse five, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now, here's something else they all had in common. They all got tired and fell asleep. Why? It says that the bridegroom was delayed. 
Now, scholars at this time say it was common for the bridegroom to come at night, but often it was when those first evening stars start, start popping out. This bridegroom came particularly late, later than, than most of them were, were counting on. How late? Verse 6, it says, but at midnight, midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Now, I think about these expectant young women and their waiting and falling asleep and becoming drowsy. And I want to encourage you, please, believer, don't let the delay of Christ's return discourage you. Don't let it discourage you. You may often wonder, like I do, where is he? How, how dark is he going to let it get before he comes? Listen. Here's a word of encouragement. Though his return seems slow, it is sure. Hold on to faith. Hold on to faith. I think about what Jesus said after the parable about the, the widow who kept praying for justice. Luke 18, 8 said, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith in this room as we wait for him? Though it's delayed. Deanna sent me a beautiful quote a couple months ago. The faith is the, the song of the bird before the morning dawn. Faith is the song of the bird before the morning dawn. Do, will you find faith in your heart as we wait? Now this next scene, if it, it, you think about that shout, right? Here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. If you've ever been awakened by shouting, have you been there? Somebody shouting about something, you can imagine the heart's racing, right? I always think about Home Alone. We overslept! <laughs> all, all, the, all the scrambling. The heart's racing, verse 7 says, all those virgins rose and, and trimmed their lamps. They got their lamps or their torches ready to go, but the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now, is that rude? Does that strike you as rude? I don't, I don't think it was. It was just true. It was just the facts. There will not be enough for us and for you. Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And then we come to some of the most tragic words in all of Jesus' parables. Verse 10, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. Now, first, there was a wonderful result for those prepared. Those who were ready went in with them to the marriage feast. What about the results of being unprepared? And the door was shut. The door was shut. Verse 11, afterward the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Some were shut in. Some were shut out. Jesus' application is to the point. Verse 13, watch, therefore, 
Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I come back to where we started. Are you prepared for the coming of the bridegroom? Do you have oil for your lamp? Do you have oil for your torch? If you're like me, you're saying, what in the world is this oil? Right? What does it symbolize? I'll tell you what I believe it is. I believe it's the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God who indwells all who receive Jesus Christ in faith as their Lord and Savior. Say, why do you believe that? Well, you follow this theme of oil through the Bible. You look at the Old Testament, the priests and the kings were anointed with oil to set them apart in their role. And then you get to prophecies about Jesus, the coming Messiah. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus was anointed with the Spirit of God. You remember the picture of this at his baptism. Matthew 3, when, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Fast forward, and some of you remember a nighttime talk with a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. But what does it mean to really be saved? What does it mean? And John 3, verse 3, perhaps in that back alley, wherever they met, it's dark out, and you can picture Jesus looking Nicodemus in the eyes and saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Good question. Jesus had a great answer for him. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I believe born of water is the natural way you're born, right? That water breaks. Born of the spirit is when the Spirit regenerates you, makes you alive in Christ. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. One more word of Jesus about the centrality of the Holy Spirit to salvation. John 6, 63. People were struggling to embrace his message, and he looked at them and he said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Are you prepared with the oil of the Holy Spirit in your life for the bridegroom? I want to talk to you about four P's that bring out the, the reality of this relationship with the Holy Spirit. First, it's personal. It's a personal relationship. Now, before you go... Saying, yeah, yeah, but what about our fellowship with other believers? I know, I'm not, 
I'm not saying exclusive of fellowship with other believers, okay? That's important. It's, it's central. But this is a personal relationship with God. Remember back at verse 9, the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. I like what Adam Clark said about this. He said, none of us has a particle of grace to spare, not even to help the soul of the dearest relative. The grace which every man receives is just enough to save his own soul. He has no merits to bequeath to another. You understand what that's saying? You've, you've heard it said, God doesn't have any grandkids. The parents up here know that, right? That their kids are not saved because they are. They, they have to pass on the necessity of those children to believe in Jesus for themselves. The faith of that person sitting next to you this morning cannot save you. The faith of your parent cannot save you. The faith of that friend who loves the Lord cannot save you. You must make a choice. It's personal. Another thing that tells me how personal this relationship is are the tragic words that, that the bridegroom said in verse 12 to those knocking to get in. What does he say? He says, I do not know you. What nightmarish words for those young women. What nightmarish words for those who would knock when it's too late. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you, do you talk with him? Do, do you listen to God through his word? Does, does he know you personally? You think about this personal relationship. Think about the wonders of the Holy Spirit. Of God. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I want to camp on that last part because how often do we say, man, I would have loved to live back when the Red Sea was parted or, or loved to walk with the disciples for those three years when Jesus was here. You know what this passage tells me? This side, we got something even sweeter because something was about to change for them and for every believer today. He, he said, you know him for he dwells with you. Oh, but something better is coming. He will be in you. Believe, believers that side would look at what you and I have, believer, with the Holy Spirit of God living in you and say, wow, wow. It's a personal choice. It's a personal choice. Each one must receive the gift of Christ and the Spirit he sends for himself. Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It is a package deal. Do you belong to Christ this morning? Michael Green put it this way. He said, it's all too possible to be often in church and Christian company 
and yet be a stranger to the Holy Spirit. It's possible to have a lamp that looks good but has no oil in it. It's possible that that he may have to say, I never knew you. All that is a great surprise to churchgoers in Matthew's day and ours. It's personal. Do you belong to Christ? It's also a present reality. The wise had oil in the present tense, right? Salvation is not just something that happened in the past. It's it's a daily walk. It's a daily walk. Galatians 5.16 says, "I, I say walk by the Spirit. That's an ongoing thing, right? And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you have a present relationship with God? through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you walk with Jesus through the circumstances of your day, aware of his presence, caring for his priorities? At home, do you walk with Jesus, husbands, wives, children? At school, do you walk with Jesus? Are you aware he's there with you? At work, Bosses, you, you treat your employers in a way that shows you walk with Jesus. Employees, do you work in such a way that shows you walk with Jesus? At play, do you play for his glory and in, in gratitude to him? It's personal, it's present. This relationship with the Holy Spirit is also powerful. Think about it in the, the parable. No oil, no lasting light, Right? But guess what? You have that oil. It enables that light to burn. It enables you, believer, to be the light of the world. It's powerful. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Acts 1.8, he told the early church as they waited for the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I see it in this body. I hear stories of, of the light going forth. I, there's a group that the, over the past month has been going to Franklin Phonetic School on Friday afternoons. Some from our church and some from another church sharing the gospel of Jesus in that public school. And a number of those children just in the past month have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Sometimes that light shines forth in something planned like that. And that's wonderful. If you want to find out more about how you can be a part of that, let me know. I'll connect you with that team. But sometimes it's, it's in, in smaller, more casual ways that we don't even think about. This struck me yesterday. One of the greatest things about the world getting darker is when we walk in the simple truths of faith, of love for God and love for others, they stand out all the more in this world, like a light in a dark place. I saw this yesterday, and I'm not sharing this to toot my own horn because all I was doing was going to the park to play soccer with our six-year-old Luke. It was a sunny day. It was 63. I said, hey, let's go shoot some goals. We took turns being goalie and and shooting the ball, and then I heard a, a lady's voice. Hey, you, come over here. Come over here. And she she lived near the park, and she 
I didn't know she'd been watching, and she said, come here. And she had an ice-cold cherry Pepsi and, and three packs of candy. She said, I just want to give this to you guys. It's, it's so wonderful to see a father and a son out playing together. And we got to talking. She said, what's his name? I said, Luke. She said, that's a good, strong name. I got a grandson named Luke. I said, yep, he's one of the gospel writers who told us about Jesus. She said, that's right. But I was just thinking about why in the world did someone give soda and candy just for a father and son playing at the park? Could it not be because we live in a world where relationships are eroding? Because we're all lost here? And just the simple fact of a relationship was a light to her. So I encourage us as a church in our families, in our church relationships, press into that. And watch the world respond. Watch them hunger. By, by your love for one another, they'll know. You're my disciples. The, the spirit shines in the planned and the unplanned in the life of the believer. And last, I want to talk to you about the precious promise of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of the believer. You have Jesus, you have the Spirit, and I want you to listen to Ephesians 1.13. Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed, that was a clay stamped into with a, with a leader's insignia on an envelope to guarantee A, that it was his, and B, that it wasn't going to be open till it got where it was sent. He says, you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the guarantee to the praise of his glory. Listen, this is the, the good news side to the bad news side. Some were shut out. That's the bad news. But some will be shut in to wonders untold for all eternity. If you've received Christ, you have the Spirit, and you are guaranteed wonders that you can't even imagine for all eternity. Think about that door that was shut. Which side of that door will you be on in that day? I want to apply this in three ways as we close. First, I want to talk to you about belief in Jesus Christ. Are you prepared to meet the bridegroom through faith in Jesus Christ? Remember what the wise answered in verse 9? Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. You say, wait a second, salvation's not something that can be bought, right? It's by grace through faith. What's he talking about? He's talking about Isaiah 55. Listen to the wonders of grace here that point to Jesus. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Wouldn't that be something, especially in today's economy? <laughs> he who has no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. You say, where do I find this bread without cost? 
You find it at the cross. You find it at the cross of Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? The door was shut, verse 10. There's, there's tragedy there. The, the, the door will be shut one day. But listen, I got some good news for you this morning. This morning, the door is open. The door is still open. How do I know that? John 10, 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. And I, I think about that. After all this bad news I've been sharing you, this right here, this is like Scrooge on Christmas morning, right? He's just seen his, his demise in that awful, fiery grave. But then he wakes up Christmas morning and he realizes it's not too late. I can still change. That's the good news of the gospel. It is not too late this morning. Someday it will be, but now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation in Jesus Christ. They said, run to the store and get your oil. I tell you today, run to the cross. Run to the cross and find salvation free and full by faith in Jesus Christ. The door is open. I want to talk to you about gratitude. Gratitude. I read a devotional this week that hit me. Like, that's a battle in this world, right, to be thankful sometimes. Like, I think about even in my backyard, I always have a choice. I can look down at the stupid gopher holes and let it ruin my day. Or I can look up and, and see the snow-capped peaks of Mingus and say, Wow, Lord, look what you did. It's, it's a choice. It's always been a choice. I think about the words of Habakkuk at a time when Israel was going through the fire. Going through it. And you think about what was going on in an economy where agriculture was, was central. Habakkuk 3.17, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Like, that's like the worst news you can get in an agricultural economy, right? Though all of this, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And the guy writing about this shared a story about a grown man who still remembered being five years old and, and he remembered a knock at the door and Someone handed his mom an envelope. Mom opened it, and it was a notice that their car was being taken back. It was being repossessed because they couldn't make the payments. And the little boy watched as the car was taken away. But all throughout his life, he never forgot that his mom went right from that front door into her bedroom, got on her knees, and the first thing he heard her say was, Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have a roof over our head. Thank you that we have food on the table. And I know sometimes in this world we struggle to find reason to be grateful. But listen, believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, if nothing else. That is more than enough 
to be thankful for. And if you're like me, for most of us, he's just the beginning of a list of many blessings. Belief, gratitude, and I want to talk to you about surrender. Listen, if you're looking at your life, even as a believer, and we're not seeing the light shine as we wish, if we're living in constant defeat, maybe we need to grow in our dependence and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit Jesus has sent. That his light might shine all the brighter, all the brighter in our lives. With that in mind, I'll close with a poem by Samuel Stevenson. It's called, Where is God's Power? A city full of churches, great preacher, lettered men, grand music, choirs and organs. If all these fail, what then? Good workers, eager, earnest, who labor hour by hour, but where, oh where, my brother, is God's almighty power? It is the Holy Spirit that quickeneth the soul, God will not take man worship nor bow to man's control. No human innovation, no skill or worldly art can give a true repentance or break the sinner's heart. Great God, revive us truly and keep us every day that men may all acknowledge we live just as we pray. The Lord's hand is not shortened. He still delights to bless if we depart from evil and all our sins confess. Father, I thank you for the generous provision of your son, the Lamb of God, who died, rose again, and ascended next to you and didn't stop there. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell your people. Thank you. I pray this morning that you would draw any who have not yet received the free gift at the cross. Draw them home. Bring them down to the front to talk to the prayer team so we can point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus while the door is still open. Lord, for those of us believers, I, I know I'm not the only one in this room. There are seasons where I yield to the Holy Spirit and I see his light and there are other seasons where I resist and I fight. And I bang my head against the same wall over and over again. May your spirit work in this room. The same grace that, that saved us can bring us to confession and repentance today and open again that channel of his power in our lives in our church. I pray that you would use our lives as lights to shine on the path of the bridegroom who will take us home and invite others along the way pray that you take our offerings this morning and use every penny to that end. Help us be faithful to the Lamb of God who sent the Holy Spirit, the blessed oil of the Lord, be upon us and in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.